Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Criterion Critics are back with another review of one of our ever-expanding titles from our film library. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chad. And Chad, I believe this is your first time on Criterion Critics. Yes, I've threatened to be on here a couple other times, but this is the first time I've actually made it to review one. <laughs> All right, and this was one that you desperately wanted to review. And yes. we're going to get to another one somewhere down the road when we finally finish off those damn Godzilla films. <laughs> <laughs> But, all right, well, welcome, uh, Chad, and everyone for our new season of Criterion Critics. This is episode one of the new season, and this month we're reviewing 1983's The Big Chill, number 720 of the Criterion release schedule. Uh, but before we get into our review of that film, first let's uh, review what came out, and I know we're still playing catch-up to uh, the releases that came out while we we're off the air and while we reshuffled our episodes, but this is for August of 2021 uh, and released on August 10th of 2021. I know last year uh, was 1999's 1998's afterlife. Um, and it is described. If you could choose only one memory to hold on to for eternity, what would it be? And that's the question at the heart of Hirokazu's Koreata's, Revolutionary International Breakthrough, a bittersweet fantasy in which the recently deceased find themselves in a limbo realm where they must select a single cherished moment from their life to be recreated on film for them to take into the next world. On August 17th was the film Original Cast Album Company from 1970, uh, the, the documentary that details the recording of the cast album for Stephen Sondheim's Sondheim's. Sondheim's, right? Sondheim, yeah. Sondheim's groundbreaking 1970 concept musical company. The renowned composer and lyricist, his director, Harold Prince, the show stars and a large pit orchestra all participate in the recording of the album. What ensued was a marathon session in which, with the pressures of, the, of posterity and the coolly exacting Sondheim's perfectionism hanging over them, all involved push themselves to the limit. On August 24th, saw the release of 1958's Ashes and Diamonds. The final film from Andrzej Wajda's celebrated war trilogy tells the story of a Polish fighter in the underground anti-communist resistance movement who is ordered to assassinate an incoming commissar on the final day of World War II. However, after meeting and falling for a young barmaid, the fighter begins to question his commitment to the cause that requires him to risk his life. Uh, that film had previously been released on DVD uh, prior, but now it's been released on the Blu-ray Blu for the first time. And then finally, on August 31st, saw the release of 2015's Beasts of No Nation. The nightmare of war is seen through the eyes of one of its most tragic casualties, a child soldier. In this harrowing vision of innocence lost from Kerry Joji Fukunaga, uh, based on the acclaimed novel, Beast of No Nation, unfolds in an unnamed Civil War-torn West African country where the young Agu uh, witnesses carnage in his village before falling captive to a band of rebel soldiers led by a ruthless co commander played by Idris Elba, 
who molds the child, the boy into a hardened killer. Uh, and that was the releases for August of last year. Chad, anything standing out to you there that you wish that you believe you're going to be picking up first? Of the ones you listed here, I don't know that I'd rush out to buy any of them, but I definitely would watch the Beasts of No Nation. Uh, big fan of Idris Alba, and uh, the subject matter looks interesting. Um, so I definitely would watch that one. Uh, no, no, I'm going to agree with you. Absolutely. Uh, I have absolutely no interest in original cast album company. Um, the other ones I wouldn't mind seeing, but if I was going to go out and I'm going to, someone's going to put a gun to my head, literally kind of for that film, Beast of Notation would be it. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Idris Elba. Um, might have even say a man crush on him, but <laughs> so I really, that's the one that I would probably want to hear more about. And my review of the uh, kind of the listing of the extras indicates that he's involved in some of the extras. So that makes it even more interesting to me. Uh, what about a film you would like to see be released on Criterion, Chad? Oh, since this is the first time I'm on here, I finally get to give a suggestion. So I'm happy about this part of it. I have always wanted to see a Criterion of 1980s Ordinary People, uh, directed by Robert Redford. It is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's not the most uplifting of movies, but I think it is extraordinarily well done. I love Donald Sutherland. I love Tim Hutton. I, and especially I love Mary Tyler Moore in this movie. And I think it's one of those films that isn't as appreciated as it should be. It sort of gets panned when people look at it for that year's uh, Best Picture Award. Everybody seems to think the Raging Bull was a better picture and should have won. Or Empire. But I'm, uh, what's that? Or Empire. Or Empire. I'm just one of those that I loved ordinary people. I watch it about once a year, maybe a little bit more than that, but it's just fun. And I would love to know the backstory behind all of it, how it got put together because it's such um, tough material in my opinion. And seeing Mary Tyler Moore, who was everybody's favorite girl for many, many years turn into an ice queen bitch. I would love to have known what her inspiration was to get that performance going. And unfortunately she's passed away, but there has to be something out there that they could put together to talk about this movie in depth. That is an unusual pick because I, you know, I, I, I would be hard pressed to say I've ever met anybody who said I really loved ordinary people. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I would say, I think I probably am one of the few people who absolutely love it other than probably Bob Redford. So, uh, it means a lot to me and I love it. Uh, so much, you know, uh, because we're reviewing a Lawrence cast and film, I was, you know, I was trying to, I, I tried to stay kind of connected to the film we're reviewing. I, I was going back and forth between Silverado and Grand, mm -hmm. Grand Canyon. And I loved Grand Canyon when it came out. I thought that was a pretty good film. Uh, I saw it in the theater. I owned it for on VHS for many years. I never upgraded it to DVD, and I probably still have my VHS in a box someplace. But, you know, ultimately, I, I, my favorite of the two is Silverado. Uh, that, I yeah. mean, that is such a fun Western with a stellar cast. I would mm -hmm. love to hear those people come back, similar to what they did in this film, come back and talk about their experiences making a Western and almost the uh, revitalization of the Western after heaven's gate kind of killed it <laughs> for, for a period of time. Hang on. And have a comedic spin to it too. I mean, cause that was a funny, fun Western. Yeah. 
But yeah, I know it is a, it's such a fun Western. Uh, it kind of revitalized Westerns to me in the mm-hmm. 80s. That and Pale Rider coming out v- very close to each other is my memory. Yes. And, and and then there, you know, uh, I, you know, I think uh, Costner uh, has kept the Westerns always in the back of his mind. I thought he's made a, a several really, really good Westerns. I like Wyatt Earp, another Lawrence uh, Caston film, but uh, it's it's a little long, a little dry, but I still enjoy the, the Western aspect of it. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll probably get into the details, but Lawrence does talk about how since Kevin was not a official part of this flick we're talking about today, that he was remembered and paid back by being in Silverado. Yep. All right. Well, uh, now let's get on to our review of The Big Chill. And, and, and Chad, you wanted to review this one specifically yeah. for Criterion, and I'm presuming you're a fan of it because you wanted to review it for Criterion. You unfortunately did not get to participate in the Movie House Memories portion of Criterion where uh, Bobby put it into one of his uh, top 100 all-time favorite films. I thought I'd give you an opportunity to talk about, you know, a little bit about The Big Chill, kind of like your memory of it, your experience of it, and what you thought of it. Yeah, it, this is one of those. Um, I remember my mother loving this movie, and she saw it, and I was probably too young when it came out to really understand it and want to see it. It was way too much of an adult movie at the time for me. Um, I just remember the music because my mom played the soundtracks to it all the damn time. And I think I still have the vinyl around here someplace. But I saw it when I got into college, and I love ensemble movies. I love the fact that you have, what, eight people here who are all connected and have a history and you watch them take that history and try to move it into 15 years later and try to use that history to connect with each other now. And I just love how they all worked off of each other. And most importantly, I love how Larry Kasdan didn't need to tell you exactly what all the history was and the, the ambiguity in the stuff. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I just love the pieces. You get to learn about the people. You get to learn about their history with each other and how it's affected them today and then how it's going to affect them in the future. And this is one of the most incredibly crafted films ever. And the actors and actresses all pulled off their parts almost perfectly. And I just love to sit down and watch this about once every year or two and just be mesmerized all over again. And I was very, very interested in pulling this one for Criterion, so then I could go back and hear how Larry put this one together, uh, how he cast this specific group, um, what these individuals brought to the table to give these performances, and then how they all connected on screen, and how they got to the point of connecting on screen, and I think the criterion paid off except for one item uh, in delivering <laughs> what I, my expectations were. And which, uh, cri- which criterion version do you have? Do you have the Blu-ray or the DVD? I do have the Blu-ray. All right. That's the same version I have. So uh, I'm presuming you have the same cover I have, which is kind of a very light tan cover maroon, the big chill 
with what I would only describe as a p- promotional shot of the entire cast of the film sitting on the lawn of the, oh, I would describe it as an estate of the particular yeah. film. Uh, on the back of it is just a, a solid color, no imagery or artwork to it. Mm. And No, it's like a family photo. Yeah. And then inside booklet, it has some still images from the uh, film, a couple of them, and then the articles by Lena Dunham and Harlan Jacobson. Uh, I'm presuming that's what you have as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. And it's, it's a very nice picture. I always did like the poster to this movie, but given that the criterions are supposed to be something a little bit special, uh, I do like the quote unquote family photo, as I said a minute ago, because this is a family, this group that you're seeing in this movie. So I find it to be a fitting picture. Yeah, what I mean, well, fitting picture, but do you like it for the criterion? Is it, it's got enough artistry to it? Is it, is it something that you appreciate? Yeah. Yeah. I, like I say, I do like it. I say, I think it's artistic in the way it's done and it's very fitting for what the film is, is you're seeing this group who are the central part of the movie. I mean, they're all the main part of the movie and I just can't see it being done any differently to make it better, to be honest. Yeah, I, I I do think that the artwork is very reminiscent of the artwork for the, the theatrical poster from the 80s. I think it fits the film. It's unusual for Criterion. They try to add a little bit of artistry to a lot of their stuff now, but I don't dislike it. I mean, it's far better than stuff like Bull Durham, where they created something and tried to go arty, arty, kind of arty and kind of failed and looked at look real kind of cheesy. But this is... Obviously, it's something made uh, at the time of the film, the the photograph that is. Yeah, I, I've seen a few of the more recent ones. Um, I think there's a Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, criterion that they definitely have made it very 80s, uh, <laughs> sort of goofy looking. But it's um, this one, I think, is a lot more artistic for the movie itself. And that's why I really like it. All right. Uh, what about... The uh, having watched it on Blu-ray, what did you think of the conversion quality? How was the picture and sound for you? I really liked it. Um, I had seen it on VHS more than anything. And back in the day on the HBO loops and on cable. And I saw it on a high definition a few years back for the first time. And it looked really, really good then. And my gauge is William Hurt's earring. I was able to see his earring perfectly. Uh, and throughout every scene he was in. And I thought the picture was absolutely gorgeous in this transfer. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was a great restoration of the film. Uh, it's a film that is accompanied by a great musical soundtrack of uh, previously recorded music. And I thought it played very, very well. Uh, I thought it was a crystal clear image uh, watching on my 4k television. So I was not disappointed yeah. in any way. And and the sound came in pretty good through the uh, the surround sound. Yeah, the sound was perfect. I mean, this is, like I said, this is one of those things, the soundtrack to this movie was huge. So it's one, uh, it's probably the ninth character, if you will. And you have to really be able to appreciate the movie or the music in this movie. So it came through crystal clear, sounded great. And I couldn't recommend it more for that reason alone. If you really love the music to this movie, it pops. 
All right, well, let's dig into the extras on this. Uh, as I said, it was a it's a newly restored 4K digital transfer of the film. Uh, there's also a, an alternate remastered 5.1 surround soundtrack that you can listen to. Uh, there is a documentary called Success in the System, uh, which is a new video interview with Lawrence Kasdan discussing some of the typical challenges that he would face within the studio system, talking about the films he made with the support of the studio system, system and some of the mo most important themes in The Big Chill and the films that influenced him coming into it. I thought it was interesting he referenced the rules of the game that uh, a film that I've reviewed recently and fallen in love with. And I, when I go back and look, think of it now, it's like, yeah, this is very similar to that. Um, then uh, uh, the, well, and that interview was recorded exclusively, exclusively for the criterion in 2014. Then there is a doc, another documentary called the big chill, a reunion uh, it was a film by Laurent Bazaru who focused on the production history and success of the, the big chill film. Uh, it included our numerous clips and interviews with uh, Kasdan again, uh, the co-writer Barbara Benedict, uh, editor Carol Littleton, uh, executive producer Marsha Nassatir, who was instrumental in getting the film made. And then, of course, the cast, Tom Berger, Glenn Close, William Hurt, Joe Beth Williams, Mary Kay Place, as, as well as Jeff Goldblum. That's about an hour long documentary. Then there is a, another it's not, I wouldn't say it's a documentary, but it's a, it's a recording of the 30th anniversary of the film. Uh, it's a Q and a session uh, with most of the cast and crew. Once again, Lawrence Kasdan is present, his wife, Meg Kasdan to talk about the soundtrack, uh, who she, when she, and she, how her involvement in that Tom Berenger, Joe Beth Williams, Meg Tilly, uh, Michael Shamberg, the producer, although he doesn't say much, <laughs> Marsha <laughs> Nesseteer, uh, executive, uh, the executive producer again, uh, once again, Barbara Benedict, uh, the co-writer, Mary Kay Place, Kevin Klein, and Glenn Close. Uh, and I believe the only people missing are Jeff Goldblum. William Hurt. And William Hurt. Sorry. I was going to say somebody else was missing from it. But yeah, Jeff Goldblum and William Hurt weren't. They're probably off making their Marvel films at the time. Um, <laughs> and this was recorded at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2013. Uh, and was uh, the session was moderated by Variety's chief film critic, Scott Foundas. Uh, this was not an exclusive to the Criterion. Then you had uh, a gallery of deleted scenes that ran about 10 minutes, most of them occurring uh, prior to everyone going back to Kevin Klein's house, uh, or somewhat around the 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 funeral, does not include. It's very important here. Does not include the flashback scene with Kevin Costner, which I was very disappointed about. Uh, then, hey. there was, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, and then the original trailer for the film was also included, and then the twelve-page uh, booklet. It's my little thing says illustrated. It's not really illustrated, but it has <laughs> Lena Dunham's essay. Uh, These are your parents and Harlan, Harlan, Harlan Jacobson's surviving article uh, from, which was an article actually written in 1983 and an issue of film comment. And so those are the extras for the disc. Chad. Okay. Having watched the extras uh, and gone through them, Chad, what do you think is missing from this disc? The, the biggest thing missing is the elephant in the room is that flashback of the, I guess, 20 minute scene where they filmed everybody back in college at the University of Michigan, which included Kevin Costner's Alex character, which is supposed to take you back to see what led them up to where they are today. Um, it was 
uh, Kasdan said he is the one who deleted it from the scene or cut it from the the movie, excuse me. So I was expecting to be able to see that uh, as part of the criterion, but it was not part of the deleted scenes and was you know, that's very disappointing. Yeah, I I, yeah. I have to agree with you on that, that uh, there were two things that was kind of surprising and disappointing to me. First and foremost was that that scene is talked about in so much detail and in pretty much every aspect of it from the Q and a to the, uh, to the making of, to the interview with Kasdan. Uh, you know, I've heard about this infamous scene for decades now, and I thought I was going to finally see it in this, the, in these deleted scenes. And it's not there. Uh, I was actually quite taken back by the fact that it was not included on this criterion disc. But I do have to say the other thing that's missing for me is considering that you have many of the people who created this film still alive and well, no commentary at all. And a commentary on most criterions is usually something you can kind of count on. I mean, there are exceptions, but I usually find the exceptions are usually for much older films. And I would kind of have liked to have seen a commentary for this film involving Kasdan, maybe having Barbara Benedict as well, or even a couple of the cast members. I, I think it would have been really kind of interesting to hear a commentary of, uh, of the film. Yeah, I know you guys have definitely reviewed a lot more of these than I have and are bigger fans of the Criterion collections than me. Uh, but it's one of those things that I did notice that there was no commentary. I was expecting that as well. I'm not saying I was disappointed there wasn't one, but I did notice it not being there and, uh, my only thought was I thought the other materials covered what I would have expected from a commentary well enough that I just sort of put two and two together as everybody was telling their stories and because I'd seen the movie enough where I guess a commentary during the course of the film would have been redundant and maybe not necessary. But yeah, I agree. Given that everybody is alive and kicking um, would have thought that they would have pulled some of them together and tried to create one. What about the quality and quantity of the extras we do have, uh, Chad? What uh, what did you think of that? Sufficient and were they good? Um, let's see. So as I go through my notes here, I thought the trailer was restored. I thought that was cool because uh, you'll see a lot of DVDs and Criterions, especially where they don't even go back and bring the trailer to high definition standards. And that they did here, and it looked really, really good, and I appreciated that. Um, as for the deleted scenes, I liked them. I thought they were very good, uh, sort of gave you just a little bit more context, but I won't say they were absolutely missing, other than the big one that we've already talked about. But I did like seeing the deleted scenes they did have. Now let's get to the success in the system where Lawrence Kasdan very, very quickly goes through a whole lot of stuff he wants to talk about about this film. As you mentioned, uh, rules of the game. He also mentioned how people deal with chaos uh, being a big factor in this. What was the other thing he mentioned? Friends in spite of history says otherwise is something that he, there. that's a big topic he wanted to cover here, that people still will be friends no matter how their history may have developed through the years. He goes through a lot of different things, talks about groups and friendships. Um, I like that little speech he gave in all the cut up the commentary, I guess, if you want to call it, 
it was a little short. It was a little bit all over the place, but he did cover everything pretty well. And then the big thing that I liked the best was the 1998 documentary, the a reunion documentary. I think he and uh, Ms. Benedict and his wife, Meg, and all of the cast did a great job of explaining how the various parts of this movie were made um, from writing the script to doing graphs and charts and note cards and timetables to getting the script written to creating backstories for the things you don't see that create the history for the character, uh, how the, the score was put together, the, the soundtrack uh, by Lawrence Kasdan's wife, Meg, and then just talk, listening to the actors and actresses talk about how they came together and became friends all, uh, as rehearsals for like two to three weeks before they even filmed the movie and got to building up that friendship that you then see on screen. I thought this was fantastic the way that came about and then got put on to uh, this uh, reunion documentary. I thought they did a great job with that. And then they sort of backed up some of it on the uh, Toronto Film Festival Q and A. Uh, I don't think they really added too much more with that, other than you get to see Kevin Klein, Kevin Klein, which I always love and appreciate. But I really did like the extras, and I thought they were cool as could be. Yeah, I, I got to say the extras are very big chill centric. Uh, they they yeah. they talk about the film. They're not talking about other things. Uh, they're not talking about Kasdan's career as a screenwriter and director or anything like that. They focus on this particular film, so I always appreciate that. Uh, they're they're of high quality. They brought, I mean, you, you in the one documentary, as you said, the, the reunion special, that was recorded, I believe, for uh, DVD in 1998, but it is included on this. It has all the actors, I mean, all of them, including uh, William Hurt and uh, Jeff Goldblum. So you get some interaction with them, you know, post-release of the film. Uh, the 30th anniversary, they came pretty damn close to getting everyone. They don't, you know, they don't have Hurt and Gold, uh, Goldblum, but they, you know, they, uh, the fact that they have not Kevin Klein there, I, I agree with you. I like watching Kevin Klein be Kevin Klein. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't let him be Kevin Klein enough for me. I would like to have yeah. seen that go on a little bit longer. And, and I got to yeah. imagine that that was edited because as I, I made that joke about it, Michael Schamberg, he didn't say a damn word i don't think the entire thing so i got to presume that that was an edited portion of that q a session uh but i i think the quality and quantity is here other than the two things that i've already said that i felt were lacking with no commentary and no kevin costner scene and like i said the biggest thing that i really really appreciated is this is a movie where i'm talking about you have these people's history and how they were friends and how, uh, let's just say, a certain couple who are married now, how did they get to that? And then there was an affair that you don't get to see, but you get it talked about. Um, you get a couple who are in the movie who aren't a couple anymore. They've moved on, gotten remarried, divorced. What You get a good sense of what their history was without ever hearing or seeing the history put in detail and Lawrence Kasdan and Ms. Benedict who helped write all this, they talked about how they went back and did in detail, create the backstories that then they're able to flesh out in the movie and give their character depth and give the story depth without ever seeing it. I've always said ambiguity is cool. You don't have to know everything about everything, but 
that's the great thing about this movie is you get to put it in your mind's eye and in the back of your mind who these people are, how they got to where they're at. And they did a very beautiful job in this reunion documentary telling you how they got to that point and how they were successful bringing it across to the big screen. And you don't get that out of very many filmmakers who go into that much detail in a very concise manner explaining how they got there. And I think it's an educational experience as much as anything. I I thought the extras were all good kind of going into the next topic, which would be what was my favorite extra. You know, this, this had to go between the reunion from 1998 and the Q and a session. I thought the reunion was more in depth. It was certainly Mm -hmm. uh, longer, uh, but uh, there was, it was repeating a lot of the same information that you saw in the reunion documentary, the, the Q and a session. It was done in probably a more entertaining way because they, they were friends poking fun at each other and making jokes. Uh, and without a doubt, as I said, it was probably a longer session than the 44 minutes that's on the, the criterion disc. But ultimately I think the reunion was more insightful to uh, what the, uh, about the film itself that I found, I found that was probably the mo- most in depth and most interesting of everything that was on the desk. So that or on the disc. So that ends up being ultimately what I think is my favorite of the extras. Yeah, that would, for a one-hour documentary, I think they covered a lot of ground in a concise manner that I, if anybody even remotely likes this movie, I think they should watch it just because you learn so much about the making of the film and the actors and actresses um, in a wonderful way. I think they did a wonderful job on this one. What was, uh, what was your ex- favorite extra on here? That would be that reunion documentary. Um, that was my favorite. I I like the Toronto Film Festival thing because I love Glenn Close. I like Kevin Klein, uh, Tom Berenger, Mary, uh, Mary Kay Place, uh, Joe Beth Williams. I like all of them, but again, it just didn't have enough time to flesh out each of them. I just thought the documentary did a great job of giving everybody just enough time to flesh out who they are as individuals and how they went about making this movie. All right, coming to our final question. Is the film worthy of a Criterion edition, and would you recommend picking it up? Oh, definitely. This is one of those landmark films from especially the 80s. I think it transitioned ensemble films. I think uh, something like The Breakfast Club, from a teenage point of view, comes from the big chill from an adult point of view. You have the ensemble put in a very limited location for a very limited amount of time. And you get to learn about the individuals and how they interconnect with everybody Um, and a great soundtrack and all that. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. And it deserved to the criterion to show everybody and tell everybody how this movie was made and for everybody to learn something from the movie, if they really, really love and appreciate it. So I think it was worthy of it. That's why I picked this one, and I really wanted to talk about it in detail. And I would say, yes, go pick it up, everybody. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I think the film's worthy of a Criterion edition. I think it's a seminal film from the 1980s, something I mentioned when we reviewed it on Movie House Memories. I was very surprised at the low critical scores as well as low audience scores on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And I was also surprised it wasn't on more um, kind of top 100, top 500 lists it it because it is it's it's a great film and it and it speaks to me more now 
in my 40s than it did certainly when I saw it the first time when I was probably 16 or 17. I mean, it was I was at the front end. I was what those characters were looking back upon and remembering. Uh, and now I, I, I see a lot of similarities in who those characters became and are represented on the film to who I am today than I did back when I first saw the film. Would I recommend picking up the Criterion? Absolutely. I agree with uh, Chad immensely that this is this Criterion has a lot of good extras. It's definitely worth the investment. Uh, there are some things that are missing, but not not to the point where I wouldn't recommend picking it up. I, you know, I picked it up with the anticipation of viewing it for this podcast, and I enjoyed it. And I will say I'm probably going to revisit The Big Chill more often now as an adult. I, I mentioned this on Movie House Memories and. Chad probably doesn't even remember uh, me or when he listened to the podcast, me referencing this, but uh, I, I saw it when I was a kid, never saw it again, liked it, mm. just never saw it again until I reviewed it for movie house memories. And I was kind of taken back at how much I liked the film. And it was, I was like, why haven't I not come back and revisit it? I love all the actors. I mean, every single one of them. And, and I see a lot of different things now than what I did as a, as a child, you know, or at least a teenager. So I think it's a, a great film, especially if you haven't seen it in a long time. I think it's, it will have more emotional impact. Yeah, I must agree. I think when we were kids, as I said earlier, this was a very, very adult movie. I don't think that this was made for us when we we're kids in the eighties. Um, but now we are in our forties and we have lives and we have marriages and children and all that, that now it would speak to us. And I think now is the time when you're in like our zone age wise, that you need to watch this movie and you need to learn where Lawrence Kasdan came from with this script in his life. And, how we put it all together that it will talk to you more all right well that does it for this month's review of the big chill thanks again for joining us and listening to our little monthly podcast if you've had a good time the fun doesn't have to stop here you can follow us on pinterest or twitter at mh memories on either one of those social media outlets you can keep informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries news and upcoming theatrical releases and trailers and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. And once again, don't forget to subscribe to our account on YouTube, where we're now releasing our podcasts exclusively. And once there, you can get updates on when we post new material. Uh, you can give us a like or dislike, or even leave a comment about our particular episode or a suggestion for a Criterion film you'd like us to review sometime in the future. Well, that is it for this episode of Criterion Critics. Join us next time when Chris comes back to review another one of his all-time favorite films, 1947's Nightmare Alley, number 1078 on the Criterion release schedule. Until then, I am Patrick. I am Chad. And we'll see you all next time at our house. podcast is not endorsed by the Criterion Collection and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. 
The theme music for Criterion Critics, Miami Nights main theme, is provided courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incomputech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Criterion Critics, and the Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC, unless otherwise noted.